1: Let's focus on the seventh beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. In other words, they will exemplify and manifest and personify the nature of the heavenly Father above, which is to bring peace in a strife-filled world. Now, the word blessed is the first word in that statement. And it has a rich meaning. It is a multifaceted word, like a diamond flashing light in different directions. The word blessed means supremely happy, enriched with benefits, spiritually prosperous, highly favored of God. And God said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. What a wonderful statement, and what a wonderful conclusion, bringing the Beatitudes to a pinnacle of power. See, the first six Beatitudes are all inward, internal, character traits, the development of Christ-like attributes, but it doesn't show or promise any impact on the world around us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means admitting that you are bankrupt in Adam, bankrupt mentally, morally, emotionally, spiritually, unable to bridge the gap between earth and heaven by your own righteous deeds. You realize you are helpless and hopeless. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. And Jesus began by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is, not will be, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then let's proceed, blessed are those who mourn, those who grieve over their errors, those who are heartbroken over their failures in life and ready to repent. The next beatitude is blessed are the meek. And the meek are those who are submissive and forgiving. A meek person is quick to submit to God and quick to release others from their sins. Then number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, craving that character trait of God, craving not only to receive imparted righteousness, but to walk in the manifestation of that righteousness. Then blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, then blessed are the pure in heart. I want you to see how mercy is sandwiched in between those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and those who are pure in heart. Because sometimes you can be a passionate person about righteous standards, but then go too far and become critical and harsh and demanding on others in such a way that you point at their faults and do little to encourage them to reach for a higher standard. And so God said, it's good to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but balance it out with a merciful attitude of heart, which is compassion that feels the pain of those who are suffering. And that's when you get a pure heart, when you mix righteousness and mercy together, then your heart is clean, your heart is pure, and you are ready to impact the world. So beatitude number seven turns you from being inwardly focused to outwardly focused. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Not everyone is going to react in a positive way towards you, even if you are a peacemaker. Because Beatitude number eight says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Notice he did not say be depressed and discouraged, but rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. The next time someone persecutes you who gives you a hard time over your witness for biblical truth, you just go ahead and smile a big, broad smile and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're increasing my reward in heaven because not only will God reward you for what you do, he'll reward you for what others do against you. So that's a win-win situation, isn't it? Now, Notice God did not say, blessed are the peaceful, but blessed are the peacemakers. But if you're going to be a peacemaker, you can't give away what you do not have yourself. You can't lead others to a place you haven't been yourself. So apparently you become a peacemaker by finding and experiencing and internalizing the peace of God, which the first six Beatitudes accomplishes for you. Now, there are three levels of peace that I believe we need to come to in order to give that peace away to others. First, we need to experience peace with God. That means to come back into harmony with God. That means to come back into unity or union with God. See, It's found in Romans chapter five, verses one and two. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now let's go to the beginning of that two-verse statement again. Therefore, having been justified by faith. What does the word justified mean? It means to be legally acquitted of all guilt, just as if you never sinned. You have to go to the cross to obtain that. You believe in the death that Jesus died. You believe in the blood that he shed. You believe in the price that he paid. You believe that he tasted death for every person. You believe that that blood still flows fresh and you can be forgiven whenever you cast your eyes and heart that direction in worshipful adoration and gratitude your sins are not only forgiven, they're wiped out of existence. Justified means to be legally acquitted of all guilt, just as if you never sinned. They are actually annihilated, or to use a modern day word, deleted. And the trash bin is emptied where those sins can never be retrieved again. That's wonderful news. And when you have peace with God, it means there's no longer enmity, there's no longer strife, See, Colossians 1.21 says, at one time you were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now Jesus has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So reconciliation and peace go together. See, you were enemies in your mind by wicked works and God said in James chapter four, verse four, that a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so we were all at odds with God. We were pitted against his will. We were striving against him and rebelling against him. Some of us very blatantly disregarding his commandments. But then that wondrous day came when grace came into our lives and we received peace with God, no more strife, no more division. God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. And part of the reason that was true is because God intended to make a way to stop that strife supernaturally by the born again experience, by giving us peace with God. The next level of peace is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, the greeting to the Roman church. Paul says, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, everything that comes from God brings peace from God with it. If you receive wisdom from God, peace comes along. If you receive love from God, peace comes along. Whatever comes from God, blessings, righteousness, wisdom, knowledge, faith, power. It always brings peace because he is the God of peace. He's referred to as the God of peace. In Romans sixteen twenty. it says, now may the God of peace bruise Satan under your feet shortly. How curious that that verse blends warfare and peace together. God is the peace giver. God is the peace establisher. And he does it by empowering you, enabling you to crush Satan's tactics underfoot. Now the God of peace bruise Satan under your feet shortly. See, God could do it all. He could conquer every satanic attack and strategy in your life without any involvement on your part. He could easily crush the opposition while you and I just rest and bask in the presence of the Almighty. But he wants you to learn how to exert authority and take dominion and command with power. Just like Michael, the archangel, who took authority over Satan when they were striving over the body of Moses, he said, the Lord rebuke you. In a firm tone, certainly. In a forceful tone, certainly in an authoritative tone, certainly. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, God could have rebuked Satan all by himself and rescued the body of Moses that I believe Satan wanted because he wanted the children of Israel to find the location of that body so they would build a shrine to it and end up idolizing or creating an idol out of Moses. That was the last thing Moses would have wanted and the last thing God wanted. And so Michael the archangel rebuked the devil because of a struggle over the body of that great prophet. There's still a struggle over your body. God wants your body to dwell in. The devil and his demons want your body to manifest through They want to drag you into the depths of sin so that you can become a habitation of evil spirits. God wants to cleanse you and sanctify you so that you can become a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a war still going on for the control of your body. Whether it's sickness in your body or sin in your body, the enemy wants control of your body. I challenge you to rise up and shout aloud like Michael the archangel and say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke every satanic power from my life. You get away from me. I claim the peace that comes from God, the God of peace who said he would bruise Satan under my feet shortly. I claim that. We're all serpent bruises. Remember, that was a promise, a prophetic promise given to the enemy himself in the very garden when the fall of man took place, when Adam and Eve were confronted by God. And God spoke the first prophetic utterance to Adam and then to Eve and then to the serpent. He said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed, and your seed is going to bruise his heel, but he is going to bruise your head. That was a messianic prophecy about the Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew, it's Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace who would come and crush Satan in order to establish peace. Peace is not something that you obtain just by sitting around and calming your mind. You have to enter into spiritual warfare, push the enemy back from the boundaries of your life and establish peaceful relationships with others to the greatest extent you can. And then through the character of God, maintain that peace by introducing forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and all the things that are Christ-like attributes in you that will fill your life and your world with peace. And then you become blessed. He didn't say blessed are the peaceful. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's not about you being peaceful. It's about you filling the atmosphere of your life with the peace of God to make others peaceful. So peaceful, they somehow find a way to make peace with each other. And isn't that what it's all about? Filling, strife-filled situation, broken families, ruined relationships with the love of God in such a way that the outgrowth of it is peace. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. It starts with love. And when you can introduce love into a hate-filled situation and joy into a depressive situation, then you can lead people into peace. The fruit of the Spirit is not all about us experiencing love, joy, and peace. It's about us giving love, joy, and peace to others, manifesting it, in our relationship with others. Well, we need to go to the third level of peace. We've got peace with God. That means we've been reconciled. We're harmonious with him. There's no division between us anymore. Peace from God because he's poured out peaceful things in our lives and created peaceful circumstances through our influence. God did say, I create peace. And so it is a supernatural creation. But then this last kind of peace is just absolutely miraculous, marvelous. It's mighty, it's wonderful. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. It was the legacy he passed on to us. It was something he imparted as he was walking into the war zone of Calvary right before he faced this contention and hatred and vile treatment, he says to his disciples, peace, I leave with you, my peace, not any peace, but my peace I give to you. Not just emotional peace, not just mental calmness, but the very peace that resides in the heart of God. He said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled do not let it be afraid. What a wonderful promise. No wonder in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Paul put it this way, be anxious for nothing. Why don't you put that in bold print in your mind right now and say, I'm going to try that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You can't define it. You can't explain it. You can't intellectualize it. It surpasses all understanding and it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See the shalom of God, the peace of God is a guardian of the soul. It guards your heart from the intrusive, negative attitudes that we're surrounded with in this world. We can have peace in the midst of the greatest conflict. Read Psalm 46. It describes cataclysmic events, and it starts off, God, as our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waves roar with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God, the dwelling place of the tabernacles of the Most High. So it's describing the world cracking to pieces. And then the end of the psalm says, be still and know that I am God. And right in that latter part of the psalm, it says, Come, behold what desolations the Lord has wrought in the earth. He breaks spears in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. He beats the sword into a plowshare. He, he takes weapons of war and turns them into beneficial instruments. He breaks the spear apart. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. And know that I am God, I will be exalted in the earth. So God is saying, no matter how cataclysmic these last days become, no matter how chaotic the world becomes, no matter how pressure-filled and how filled with persecution it becomes, blessed are the peacemakers, those who have peace with God, peace from God, and the peace of God that passes understanding. Jacob talked about the Messiah to come hundreds of years before he came and called him Shiloh, which means the peaceable and prosperous one. Right before he went out against the Midianites, Gideon built an altar and called it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord our peace. So before he went into the conflict, before he faced the enemy on the battlefield, he celebrated that God was his source of peace. Maybe we should build an altar in our hearts right before we enter into major situations that may be pressure-filled and call upon him as Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace, and then watch him bring that peace. Jesus went through horrendous things to obtain it, No wonder when he came out of the grave, every time he appeared to the disciples, the first thing that came out of his mouth in your English Bibles was the word peace. And I'm of the opinion that he spoke in Hebrew to them. And his greeting when he appeared in the upper room or wherever he encountered them was shalom. And the word shalom means more than just peace of mind. It means peace calmness in every area of your being. It means prosperity and fruitfulness and wholeness, nothing broken, nothing missing. And real peace means everything coming together like that. Shalom. 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 I speak that over your life. That was the end of the Levitical prayer. And that's the prayer I want to pray for you right at the end of this episode. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you
0: peace. Shalom. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ.